Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Glenn Edwards. Glenn Edwards is a business owner in the construction field. He has 42 years of experience in the infectious control area. He is inspiring people to take back their power. Welcome to the podcast, Glenn. Thank you very much, Kimberly. It's a pleasure to be on. Yes. Now, I know you have had a long journey and so many things happening throughout your life, and yet you're still here, yeah. still coming forward, still taking back your power and showing other people how to take back their power. Absolutely. Every so, day. Yeah. Just so people can get to know you, why don't you tell us you know, where you started out, where you grew up, how you got to be where you are today. Okay. I'll tell you a little bit about myself so far. I'm 60 years old. I am an award-winning author, motivational speaker, and coach. I do have two construction companies, which I've been in that industry for 42 years. I'm a grandfather of five children, and I have two beautiful daughters. Uh, going back to my, my life so far, I, I had an amazing childhood, just an incredible childhood. It should be almost charged to have a childhood like that, and have that much fun. Uh, incredible teenage years. I was drafted in junior hockey, which is the Ontario Hockey League. A lot of Americans have come up and played in that league and drafted to that league. It's kind of like our junior system to the NHL, if you will. Uh, I was drafted to the Windsor Spitfires, and I had the thrill of having a tryout with the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, back in 1980, which was a huge thrill for me. Uh, I had a meeting as a young man with uh, Johnny Bauer, Jerry McNamara, Floyd Smith, all the, uh, all the upper management of the Toronto Maple Leafs way back then, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. So definitely a thrill in my life for that. Um, yeah, just an incredible childhood and incredible uh, teenage years. I got married very young. I had uh, two relatives played in the NHL. One played in the original six with Gordie Howe and all those kind of fellows and Bobby Orr and Bobby Hall. And the other one played with uh, Buffalo, Toronto, and Calgary. So hockey ran in the family. It was a big part of my life. Um, probably the biggest passion I ever had was to play in the NHL. I had all the talent in the world. I just didn't have the common sense. And when I was a young boy at 15, when I got drafted, I had this young woman I'd grown up with and we had the puppy love through grade school and high school, got married at 18 and 19 or 20. I think it was, I was, and we got married very young, uh, which is all great, but that's where I made some bad decisions as a young man, uh, walking away from hockey at 16, walking away from hockey at 19 when I had the pro tryout. Uh, and that's where you start to understand some of the things you go through in life and, the mistakes you make, like things along those lines. Uh, but you grow from them. You learn from them. You can't, you can't sit in that area of pain or sit in that area of, you know, giving away that part of your life. There's always positives in everything that happens in our life. Like whether, when we have something negative happen, there's always a positive. Um, one of the biggest things for me, my uncle had told me, being in the NHL and flying, flying all over North America, you didn't get a lot to see your kids. Whereas I got to see everything with my kids. I grew up with them. They became my best friends and I got to watch the ballet and I got to watch them play soccer and basketball. Then you can't put a price tag on that. So there's, there's a huge positive out of that. So you, you always try to focus on the positive and learn something from it. Um, but yeah. Like, so amazing childhood, amazing young, uh, young adult life. And uh, I've had a great success in, in construction for 42 years and uh, learned a lot. Uh, there's been, a lot of highs and lows. I've, I actually reached, uh, I just wrote a book myself, uh, the, the Authorities, Pain to Powerful. And it talks about so, some segments in my life where you're at a, such an extreme high and so many great things, but some things take a toll and some things start to add up. And if you don't heal from your 
your losses, your traumas, you know, whatever they are, you can drag that along with you. So there's a lot of things that come to a culmination and take a toll on you. And myself, I reached a point where I actually planned out ending my life. So when you get, when you take a guy or anybody that has an amazing life, it it, it just, it just makes you wonder how you can go from such a, a high to such a low. And if we look at the famous people in the world, like the Robin Williams and all these kind of people that do these kind of things, there's a reason. And that's where you learn you got to advocate for yourself and, and just be persistent in finding your, your calm in life. So one of the things I talked to you earlier about was uh, values. Like, so I'll tell you a quick story about a uh, thing I learned about values. So I was at a course one time and a gentleman said, there's probably a hundred values written on a wall, like with a projector screen. And he said, find 10 core values that make you tick as a person. So you and me, Kimberly, we'd be sitting there and we'd be taking all these different values and you'd write them down on a little piece of paper. And when you had them all done, you'd let them know. And he said, now find a story that upsets you or puts you in a bad place or makes you feel not so good. So right now we could say COVID, you know, what's going on with COVID. It could be a divorce. It could be marriage troubles, friendship troubles. So as we're sitting there, we had all our items. He goes, now that you have the situation in your head, throw on the floor, the values that you gave up in that situation. And when you threw them on the floor, we ended up with either none in front of us or maybe one. And the point of it is nobody's entitled to your values. I'm not entitled to yours. You're not entitled to mine. I'm not entitled to my partners. You're not entitled to your partners. Those are what make us tick as a person. And if you actually take those, let's say you took 10, take five core values and live by them every day and use them in everything you go through, it'll keep you on an affirmation of the direction you're going, who you are and staying true to yourself. But I've asked people what their values are and they'll look at me and say, I don't know what you mean. I, I don't understand. They, they, they can't even name one or two or three or four. So you, became, you become just like sheeple. You start following whatever other people do. So if you look at this COVID, I'm a COVID contractor. I do infectious control in hospitals. I do it in buildings. I've done asbestos and mercury for years as well. The government, your side of the border, my side of the border came out and said, everybody, uh, social distance. And we all did. It's a simple thing to do. But when you get into the hygiene part of it, now that they're opening the world back up, people don't know what they're doing. So they've gone out and got masks and they've got gloves, but they don't know how to wear the mask. They don't know how to wear the gloves, when to put them on, when to take them off, how to take them off, how to decontaminate, how not to cross-contaminate. The people with masks and gloves are actually some of the worst people out there. They're more of the cause than they are the solution. So I've reached out quite a bit lately to our government, to our political parties, to businesses, to offer assistance in reopening your business, educating your staff, educating your staff on hygiene. Just a lack of education, a lack of interest from people to want to learn that. But that's what's going to make this go forward. This will be the new future. So I'll, I'll, get, I'll tell you another little story. Um, buffets. You've been to a buffet. I've been oh, yeah. to a buffet. Mm-hmm. This, this is kind of the foundation of infectious control to kind of get your mind around it. So you go to a buffet and we all go up and we get our food. It could be at a wedding, a banquet, vacation holiday. We all go up and get our food and we all use the same fork, same spatula, same spoons, same utensils to get our food. We go back and sit down, we look at our food and we dive in. But everybody in that restaurant or building or whatever who was at the the buffet has touched the same fork, same spatula, same spoon, and we haven't washed our hands. Now, if you think about that, it's disgusting. Yes. (laughs) That's, I know, but we all have done it. Myself, 
myself included (laughs) with my partner. I have like, we've, we've asserted this a while back where it's like, okay, this is disgusting. So we started cleaning our hands. We had little PRL like over a year or two ago and we clean our hands and you realize now how, how disgusting that is. So if I went and got a fork and knife and I brought it to you and your partner and I said, listen, there's like 70 people have touched these, but go ahead and have dinner. You wouldn't let me. Uh-huh. Like you'd say, Glenn, that's disgusting, right? Yes. So if people just sit back and think about that for a second and kind of look at the broad spectrum of where we're at with this, that's what we're talking about here. This is hygiene. This is 50% respiratory, 50, 50% tactile, like touch. The social distancing does the respiratory. The other part is our hygiene. It's that simple. So if we all get better hygiene, we're all guilty of it. I'm saying the same thing. But if we all get better at our hygiene, this would go away. But it seems like everybody just wants to get back to work and open their businesses and not understand that this could go sideways in a heartbeat. So that's what I'm trying to get across to people. I, like I say, I've reached out to our government, our municipalities. So if you, if you look at what's going on in Canada, per se, we had a list of essential services came out. I'm sure you might have too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So they came out with essential services and they named all these divisions that could stay open. But they didn't put anything in place to prove that you put a code of conduct in place for your staff, that you train your staff on hygiene, you train your staff on how COVID transfers, you train them on what to do, how to handle themselves and how to conduct themselves. They just said, go ahead and stay open. Mm-hmm. So what I saw was companies driving around with two, three, four guys in their trucks. I saw restaurants that are still doing takeout, but there's four or five people in a very con- confined area. Nobody had implemented anything, but they were allowed to stay open. Now we're opening up more here in Ontario and in, in Canada, was still no training it should have been what they should have done when they opened up essential services that here's the list they should have said you all have to stay closed until you prove to us you've implemented protocol then you can open up so if you were the governing body kimberly and i had to come back to you i'd submit my proposal of what i've done for my company and my staff and you would say glenn you're good to go open your business but they made a mistake and you know two mistakes two wrongs don't make a right and they should have sat back and went, wait, we, we, we messed up here and let's correct it. Like I missed out on a birthday. My partner and I, we both had a birthday one day apart in March and we were supposed to go to Vegas. I missed out on my trip. Mm-hmm. I had shows book. I, I lost that. Lots of other people lost their trips. I wanted that freedom back. Yeah. But everybody has to get on board here in the same direction. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. It's just, we're all in this together. Let's make it better. But you can't be ignorant to what's happened and not be productive and want to make this a better thing. So if you use your values, like calm, clarity, understanding, communication, validation, like those are some of mine, like fun, like mm-hmm. we've given them away. Nobody's entitled to them. We need to backtrack, slow down and look at those values. If you and I have a disagreement, we can still agree to disagree, but I have to respect your values. I have to respect you as a person. And I find if you do that, you just, you stay on a better path of, like I say, an affirmation of where you want to go in life and how you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you were saying that, you know, fun is definitely one of mine and, you know, everybody's having to be really creative right now about having fun. And, you know, there's been some different ideas. I know for Mother's Day and I know other people have done this, our whole family collective, we're on a Zoom and, you know, we did a a quiz show, a trivia quiz show about um, my mom, who's the oldest mom <laughs> in, the, in the family. And we all had to answer and, you know, it was a competition. 
you know, we never would have done that, even though we're in different states, we never would have done that another, another year, another time. Yeah. You know, well, I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of insight into the, uh, since we're kind of touching base on the uh, COVID, I'll give a little insight for on our side of the border. I, I won't speak on your half just because I haven't seen enough of it and understand what you guys are, your protocol is, but I know for being in an asbestos, asbestos gives you a mesothemioma and you die from it. There is no cure. So I've been in this for 42 years. I have a relative right now who's actually dying from it, who's a carpenter. So I understand the severity of it. I, I've been around it my whole life and I've done it my whole career. I also do mercury, which gives you mad hatters, makes you loopy, kind of crazy. That, those are serious things. Those are things that affect the rest of your life. This does too, but it also falls into the hygiene of, it boils down to hygiene. What I do in those other two trades boils down to protection. There's a different kind of verbiage to it on how you take care of yourself and how your, your safety protocol and your protection. This here with it being uh, hygiene, I can bring my, my education from the past. So let's say someone's going to wear these gloves or these respirators. They got the N95s and they got the half-face surgicals, which I'm sure you, you've been around. Mm -hmm. And those are disposable. Those are a one-time wear and you throw them away. I've had people telling me they're vacuuming them. They're, they're spraying them with a product. It's a fabric. There, there's, you have no guarantee. You're not a professional to say you've cleaned them. But there's, there's some experiments going on in hospitals right now trying to see if they can be reused, but it hasn't been certified. So if you take those as a one-time wear, people are wearing them 10 times, 20 times. They're hanging them in the rearview mirror. They're throwing them on their dash. They're putting them in their purse. I saw, exactly. So if you understand now infectious control, what I'm going to explain to you, when you roll that respirator up and you put it in your pocket, there's no clean side, dirty side now. You've cross-contaminated the inside of that mask because you've rolled it into itself. So whatever's on the outside now is on the inside. If you, if you get to a point you think you have to wear one twice, I've suggested to people to get like an adhesive tape or there's a saran you can get. They, they put it on carpet areas when you go to a brand new building sometimes and you walk on that saran, like that plastic. Take get something like that that you can put on the front of the mask. When you have it on, you put that plastic across the front that seals it. Now everything's sealed to the front of the mask and you can take it off. So then you can put it in a glad bag, zip it up and reuse it. You've sealed the dirty side from the clean side. So when you want to put it back on, you put it back on your face and pull the adhesive off. So whether you use 3M tape or duct tape or whatever it is to seal it, that holds it on. Otherwise, who's deciding what's the clean and dirty side? You know what I mean? And that's, that's the goofy part. Like, I watched a guy the other day, it's 75 degrees here in Ontario the one day, about a week ago, and he's standing in line for a gelato. And he's got his mask on. And his partner had her mask on to, under the nose. So... Under the nose is, you're breathing through your nose too, right? So it's, it's useless. They get to the line of the gelato. He takes his mask off, rolls it up, puts it in his pocket. She takes hers off, folds it up, puts it in her purse. You just contaminated your purse. You just contaminated your pocket. They ate your gelato, finished it, and then they put their mask back on. <laughs> yeah. We don't think about these things, do but, we? Exactly. We it. But, but that's common sense and nonsense. You know, like, like it, it is, you know, like, so... Those kind of things you're seeing, like, you know, like I'll give you an example too. You see a grocery store, you walk, you walk people, like say you, you and your partner walk in a grocery store and Kimberly walks in and she's, she's got her gloves on and her mask on and good for you. But you do your shopping, you walk up to pay your bill and you reach in your purse or your, your partner reaches in his wallet with the gloves on. So everything you just touched in the store just went in your purse, in your wallet. You just contaminated everything in it. And even if there wasn't COVID, it's, it's kind of gross anyway. If you think of everything you've touched in the store, plus the, the cart, 
that's a time there where you can use your Purell, give your hand a little shot, mm -hmm. clean it, you can go in your purse. So you cross that's called cross-contamination. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that people aren't getting with this. And that's, if you educate yourself and just do some due diligence to learn about it, just think how easier it would be. Mm -hmm. I, I see people walking down the street, like wide open air, and they got a mask on. If you're sick, that's when you should have your mask on. But if you're not sick, that's fresh air. Enjoy the fresh air. Enjoy it. It's nice, right? Other, other than that, I'm, I'm assuming you're sick and you're trying to keep your germs from me. But if you're wearing a mask outside in fresh air, you better wear it 24 hours a day in your home because your home's a lot more disgusting than what's out there. And I'm pretty hygienic and I'm pretty much a germaphobe how I clean my home, but I'll guarantee I can find things wrong. But that just seems to be where people are losing their their common sense, their values, and their, their direction of who they are. They're watching the, the media too much. Mm -hmm. you know? Wow, you've made up some great points that, I mean, I hadn't even thought about those things, about rolling up a mask and putting it in your pocket and it being contaminated or, you know, same thing, you know, using the store and then putting your hand in your purse. And then, and then of course, going and driving your car and touching your steering wheel. There you go. There you go. Touching your doorknob at home. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, like I, at my office, like, you know, being in this industry, we, we've always, we've always been pretty hygienic and I have one guy works for me. He's a bit of a germaphobe, but it's all good. And we actually, we'll get the Perel or whatever. And we'll, we'll uh, alcohol wipes or, and we'll go around one day. I'll go in and I'll do the doorknobs and they'll be looking at me going like Kimberly be there going, I just did them yesterday and be like, you know, Oh, well, like, we just did them again. And, you know, some you might do them one day. And I said, I just did them two days ago. Like, it's just been how we are. But there's nothing wrong with that. And what you just said about the steering wheel, think how gross that is. Your hands touch that thing every day. Yes. So, like, once again, people wear their gloves, but they're getting in their car. They put the groceries in the back, whatever it is they bought. They open their door. So they touch the door handle. They get in the car. They touch their, their, their steering wheel and they take their mask and they hang it on the rearview mirror. Like, it's not a rosary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, That's what it looks like, doesn't it? When you it's not. It. It's not a crucifix. It's not a rosary. It's like, it's a contaminated mask. Like you know, like there, there's protocol, right? So, I just think everybody did really well with the social distancing. But man, have they lost the farm on this one with the rest of it? And it when you understand that, like they closed the world for this, right or wrong, they closed the world. I don't want them to close it again. I'm dying to go to a beach. I'm dying to go on a holiday. Yes. Imagine if we keep, went under martial law and they all kept us all in our homes. You'd see people start to realize now we've lost our freedom. So let's be part of the solution and not the problem. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not an expert in COVID. I'm an expert in infectious control. If my guys make a mistake. Years, right? You said 42 years? 42 years. I've been, I've been involved with school boards, government buildings, where unions and, and school boards, teachers, caretakers, they just don't get along. And they'll use any reason they can to close buildings. And sometimes they are unhealthy or there is asbestos or there is certain things. I'm called in in those situations to help make the decision if they are or they're not and how we're going to open them up and why we're going to open them up and why they're safe to everybody. I've had pregnant women stand there yelling at me. I've contaminated them. And I've had to explain them why I didn't and explain to them what happened or what we actually did so they understand. It doesn't upset me that they're, 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 you know, they're yelling or upset, but ask. Ask first. Mm -hmm. now, that's where you gather your, gather your knowledge. Take back your power. This is the whole thing about taking back your power. Like, identify with who you are. Like the one thing I'll say quickly is, you know yourself, there's women that use washrooms and men that use washrooms don't wash their hands. 
-hmm. You've seen it. I've seen it. Those people have to own that now. Like, like, come on. Like, that's hygiene right there. Like, I started telling men in washrooms, wash your hands. You know, but this is all part of it, right? This is how bacteria spreads. These are how things spread. So go back to the basics of when we were younger. I'm a lot older than you, but you go back to the basics of when we were kids. Wash your hands before dinner. Yeah. This is a hygiene thing right here. So, but anyway, yeah. It, it so really is. And we were, well, I was going to say all. Most of us were taught that from, you know, I have a 18-month-old granddaughter. You know, we taught her from <laughs> little, 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 even right yeah. now. Yeah. Wash your hands, you know, yeah. with the soap, you know. But so many basic fundamentals of even, like, you, how, how you clean your house. Like, we all know there's good cleaners and bad cleaners. We all have different hygiene. We all have different ethics on how we clean. When you get into the commercial industry and, like, you know, shopping malls, plazas, it's more now time to pay attention to who's cleaning, how are you cleaning, what are you, products are you using, what rags are you using. I've been to a gym where they use the same rag on the seat as they do the handlebars when they clean them. That's gross. That's gross. Like, come on. Like, this is, this is hygiene now. This is what you got to think, right? So it just, you know, like I say, you're not pointing the finger at anybody. It's just everybody getting good practice, better practice, and then it becomes a habit. And then I start to watch what you do. If I saw you and your partner at a, a dinner one time, you wash your hands before you eat, like hide, like a little corral. I'd look at them and go, wow, it's kind of a good idea. The next mm -hmm. thing someone else might do it. It's no different than me smiling at you and you smile back. Like right. same thing, learn a little something off somebody and, you know, or reach out to someone like me. Like I'm, I, I speak to people about open, reopening their businesses and what to do, how to make it safe, how to make sure you've implemented certain things. Communication, communication is huge. You know, communicate, make sure people understand and, and ask questions. You know, don't point the finger back. Exactly. You know. When you mentioned about, you know, cleaning our houses, I was wondering if you have some recommendations for people when they're cleaning their house, like what is a good cleaner? Because maybe, you know, you know, maybe not everyone knows what's a good cleaner and something that's actually killing the germs. Yeah, there's good cleaners. There really is. The, the biggest thing I, I stay away from is naming brands. It's better to try, like you and your partner might be in, you know, you live together, whatever. So I could suggest something. You go, oh my God, Glenn, this is fantastic. And your partner might go, I broke out in a rash. So there's different ratings and different things on products. Just like you read your ingredients on a grocery, like whether you're buying pasta, what's in the pasta, is it gluten-free, is it this, is it that. Cleaning products are the same. There's ratings for them for sensitivity to the skin, to the eyes, to, to the breath, respiratory. So some of the ones I use, you need respirators to use them. But you, like, once again, my guys know what they're doing with the, the respirators. We have, we have a COVID cleanup we just did, uh, ended up being a negative. There was the positive didn't come out for the test, but my guys went in with their PPE and proper protocol. That product there had a little bit of an odor, a citrusy kind of smell, but environmentally friendly. And yet you, but you check what it is. You don't just walk into a building and use it. So for people in their residences, I'd recommend reading the label and see what you're getting. Cause we all have, someone could be asthmatic, you know, you might be sensitive to ultra sensitive to your skin, your hands, whatever. So you find out little things and ask and inquire, then sample what you might want. I can't just say a generic swath, use this. Like I use a lot of bleach. I love bleach. Like I do, like I use it on cuts, wounds, scars, like it cleans them up like poison ivy. Like I love it. I'll break it down to one part bleach, one part or one part bleach, 20 parts water. And even go down to one to 10, one to 15, depending on what I like. But yeah, it's just, it's all preference after that point. So I wouldn't, I'm not going to rec too. I wouldn't recommend too much right now without the advice to go check it yourself and see what you like. Right. Okay. But yeah. But yeah. But how you clean, I always look at it. Like when we do asbestos and mercury, and you know, especially asbestos, you kind of look at it as if there was no roof on a building and clean down. So when you look at the top of your fridge, your cupboards, 
your cabinets, your mirrors. Like, you know, if I walked in and started doing this, he'd be like, oh my God, like, you know, he's got dust all over his hand. So mm -hmm. uh, just get into good, once again, good cleaning, good protocol, good, good codes of conduct kind of thing. Yeah. All right. So keep your mask sanitary. Yeah. <laughs> keep your gloves sanitary. Keep your hands sanitary. Wash your hands. Yeah. But even the reusable masks, you know, the ones people are making, uh-huh. That's, that's great. Like it's, they're not certified number one. So people that are wearing, they also almost wear them like a fad, <laughs> excuse me. But you can, if you're going out for the day, take three or four with you. Cause once again, they're not reusable. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I would suggest with those is go to a sink or wet your hand, wet your face with it, with it on, like uh -huh. wet it down, uh -huh. fold it up. Cause now it's, it's sealed, right? Like everything's wet. It's, it's adhered to the fabric, uh -huh. fold it up, put it in a Ziploc bag and go home and use it for your laundry. Grab another one. And put that on, let's say, let's say you're going to have lunch, have your lunch, clean your hands, put the second mask on now and wear that fresh. You know, cause we all can't just go get half face N95s and surgical masks. Right. So right. But that's good practice, but I don't know. Like I've been in this for 42 years. I don't know anybody that says, here's the line and draw this line here. And that side of my mask now is clean. So I'm going to put it over here. Like you haven't disinfected it. You have no idea how to decontaminate it. Right. So, and, and the other thing with gloves, like gloves are the hardest thing because gloves, you lose track of how often you wash your hands. Like I could, I could, I'd shake your hand right now, mm -hmm. but I'd use Pearl on my hand. I clean my hands. Mm -hmm. I'm good. With gloves, you touch, you touch, you touch, and you lose track. When was the last time I washed my hands? How many things have I touched? What have I touched? You know, same as a grocery store. Like you're walking around for an hour, 45 minutes. You walk up and pay your bill. You forgot you touched all this stuff. And you reach in your purse and your wallet. Like, okay, wait a minute. I shouldn't have done that. I should have. Actually, if you're going to wear gloves like that and you get to the till to pay, take them off. Turn them inside out. Tie a little knot in the end. They're sealed. You can mm -hmm. dispose them when you leave. Now you can reach in your purse with clean hands. Mm -hmm. You know, so. All really helpful. So thank you. I'm going to change gears a little bit here. Okay. Because um, I know you've <coughs> had a, quite a few traumatic experiences in your life. How do people bounce back and take their control back when there's trauma? I look at it sometimes with a, an hourglass, only a daily glass, like an hourglass that, sh that takes up to 24 hours. Mm -hmm. How much time are you putting into the negative thought? How much time are you putting into the positive thought? I got stuck myself with some situations I'd been through focusing too much on the negative. And there's nothing wrong with a little pity party that you know, we have a good cry. I've never cried this much in my life and I know I'm getting older now, but it, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with it. So I'm alienated from my grandchildren. I've been alienated, alienated now for six years. The positive of that is some of us never get to have kids because we physically can't. I was allowed to have two beautiful girls and some of our kids aren't allowed to have kids because either they don't want to, or they're physically not able to. My daughters were able to have kids. I was allowed to be a grandfather. That's not a right. That's a gift. That's an amazing gift when you become, you're a grandparent. You're mm -hmm. saying. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? You just, you, you can't explain it to people. If someone's not a grandparent, they look at you like, eh. But when you are, it's like, so I can amazing. look at you. It, it's, it's incredible, right? Yeah. I've had the, excuse me, I've had that privilege and you can't take it away from me. So I look at it and I go, I had a gift and I, I still am a grandfather. Like when I'm around, like I'm divorced now. So when I'm my, my new partner, when she, when she has grandchildren, I'm still going to be a granddad. When I see little kids, I'm still a granddad. Mm -hmm. If you're a parent, you're always a parent. You see kids, you're like, oh, they're so cute. And you, the, parent, the parent in you comes out. 
Well, the grandparent in me comes out and I'm proud of it. And I wear it as a badge. I don't focus on, I don't see my own grandchildren. I will one day. But when I see other kids, I'm a grandparent. And I live, I, I thrive on that and I hang on it. And I used to put my head down and cry. And it's still, you know, I, I still have my moments. That's okay. But I look at the, the honor and the privilege that I had to be a grandparent, to be a parent. And I focus on that. You know, I, I, I've been through a divorce. I was married 33 years. I had an amazing marriage. I have no ill will towards my partner. It devastated me. It, it devastated me. I saw it out of nowhere coming. I, I missed work. I, I, I didn't care about anything. I couldn't, I couldn't get myself out of that. And it, it, then you start to realize, like, there, you start focusing on why you got married. Like, you fell in love. There was amazing things. You had an amazing life. I kind of look at it like a good book, like a Moby Dick. Put it up on the wall and cherish it. Don't focus on the, the divorce and yelling at each other and whatever people do. I don't have the time for that. Life's too short. I, I look at it and go, it's an amazing 33 years. You know, we had a puppy love as kids. We had a great childhood. We went through grade seven and eight as boyfriend and girlfriend. I used to drive to her high school and drop her off. Like, there's a great history. Mm-hmm. So focus on the history. Yeah. And I find just too many people, like, they'll tell you stories about their negative. I have a lot of negative. Some of the negative I can tell you kind of shock you and sit you back and go, like I told you earlier, I have two therapists I've been to over the years with another person I, I was with. And the therapist took me aside and said, how do you survive? Like this one therapist that was a woman, she'd been in, she'd probably in her sixties. And when she found out all my traumas I'd been through in life, she said, you talk about them like they're the weather. She goes, I can't get my head around it. My whole career, I've never seen anybody been through all these traumas and tragedies. And you have this attitude. And I said, my tools, my mental tools, the mental tools I've got, the mental toolbox that I use. And I go to that toolbox, the values. Like when you throw your values away, you're going in the wrong direction real fast. You'll go to that negative side. And you'll start to focus on the negative things. Like I say, that marriage was a great marriage. I hope she finds whoever it is she's looking for and what she wanted out of life. Wish her the best and then go find your own. But in the same situation, like since we're on that topic of divorce, so many people shut down after. They lose their vulnerability. Like I'm a, I'm a romantic. I've always been a romantic. I bring the candles on holidays and I do the whole thing and I bring the speaker box, you know, and even at my age, I still do that. And you know, when you, but to be vulnerable after you've been hurt, you kind of leave that little foundation. You know what I mean? When you build a house, you put the footings and you put the foundation, you kind of leave the footings there. You got to get rid of them. It's like unconditional love is the best thing you'll ever have. But if you don't, if you don't fall unconditionally in love, there's always that something in between you. You got that reserve. It's like, I'm not going to get hurt by Kimberly again. I'm not going to let her do that to me because the last one did that to me. But if you can get rid of all that and be transparent and be 100%, 100% vulnerable, there's nothing better in the world. If you get hurt, it's also the worst thing in the world, you know, to a point. But man, if you're going to do it, go all the way and do it. And that's the one thing I find. There's so many people that have never been unconditionally in love, mm-hmm. especially guys. Yeah. They don't give it up. When you're a woman, like, you know, you know, like, wouldn't you like to have a guy that communicates and talks and listens and validates what you say and understands what you say? Like, uh, there was a situation I went through years ago with my, my one daughter. She's, she's an addict, uh, alcohol and uh, drugs. And I went to this rehab place. We've actually been there twice. And one of the exercises they gave was a listening exercise. So my ex, my ex and my one daughter and the one daughter that was an addict, we sat in this room together and you'd say, it makes me happy, happy, mad, sad, glad, angry, whatever the topic is, when you do this. Would you try not to do that anymore so I don't feel this way? 
So my daughter was the first one to do it and she did it to me. So she said, when I come home from high school and I tell you my problems of the day, I'm not looking for you to tell me what to do or how to fix it. I'm just telling you about my day. Could you just listen to me in the future so it doesn't frustrate me? And I went, wow. As a dad, I'm going to protect my daughter, Kimberly. I'm going to protect you. You're not asking me to protect you. You're just talking to me. You're just telling me about your day. A lot of men, I'll tell you what to do. You do this. The next time that happens, you do this. You didn't ask me. And that's where you become a better listener. You start to understand what people are saying and validate what they say. So those are all acquired skills that we all need to try and get them back. Like try and try and hold them close to yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So those little skills like that become huge. Right. Yeah. So. And I had another question that came up just as you were talking, you know, you talked a couple of times about how, you know, you cried more than you had ever cried. And um, for a lot of men, especially some women too, it's like, they don't want anyone to see them crying. They, you know, are embarrassed to cry or they're just going to hold back from crying. How has the crying helped as far as the healing process for you? Huge, huge crying, communicating. Um, it's huge. Like I, I've always, I've been like, I was a macho, you know, the macho guy, the tough guy or whatever. When I went through these things that brought me to such a lower level, I'm not Superman. I can't handle everything. And when you get to that point, you do cry. But when you hide it, I can't understand how you feel. If I hide it from you, you don't, if you and I are partners, Kimberly, just go easy. We're not, but you know, uh, if you and I are partners and and I don't show my feelings to you, you don't, you can't, am I to assume, you know, I haven't told you I'm sad. I haven't told you I'm hurt. I haven't told you I'm, I'm crying because I lost my dad. You have to communicate to the other person. You can't assume. You, you, like if I come home from work and I'm in a bad mood, if I don't tell you I'm in a bad mood from the trip, you'll think I'm in a bad mood for something else. And it starts to take on a personality of its own. Communication's huge. Like if you're, if you're with your partner, you should be able to tell them anything. And they should listen to you and validate you and understand and try to understand. And if you can't, just support the person. The things I've been through, we've had a double murder in the family. We've had addictions and rape and divorce alienation like when you pile all that together within a six seven year period i'll find me somebody that can sit there and go i'm good i'm good i'm not good but i got the tools i got the knowledge i got the expertise i got the coaching i got the training i learned lessons about people my whole life and now that i'm reaching out and i've turned myself inside out in a book people are going i i've been there too i've been there too i've had people thanking me for being transparent and being vulnerable it's huge. It's, it's, it's funny, you know, Kimberly, I've been an athlete my whole life. I got paid to play hockey. And when I was going to turn 60, I wanted to be in the best shape of my life, even when I was an athlete and played hockey. And last year, I went on three bike races across. I went to one in North Carolina, one in Montreal, and one here in Ontario. Mm-hmm. I was going to be in the best shape ever. And the day before I turned 60, it dawned on me it had nothing to do with physical. It had a part to do with it. It was physical, emotional, and spiritual. Mm-hmm. It was all three. And that whole year of being 59 was all about the physical. But after I'd done so many things and so many courses over the last 10 years, say it all hit me and it went, I turned 60. It bothered me so much to turn 60. And now I'm probably the best person I've ever been. I'm the, more, the most rounded person I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Educated, spiritual, emotional. You can, there's, there's a, 
like I said to you earlier, we talked before the, the, the podcast. This is the first time at being 60 in my whole life. I'm proud of myself. I have people that work for me for 20. I've had one guy work for me for 25 years now. I've had people make livings off me. They make a lot of money off me. I've had, I, you know, they've worked hard for me too, but I've never been really proud of myself. I've never been comfortable to say it. I'm a good father. I'm a, I'm a fantastic grandfather. I'm a great husband. I'm a great boyfriend. I'm a good, I'm a great friend, but I've never been proud of myself. And now I am because now I'm doing something where I'm helping people. I'm turning myself inside out. I'm exposing myself. I'm being vulnerable. If people want to laugh, they can laugh, but I know where I'm going and I know the people reaching back, they need this. And that's what I'm trying to do. That is awesome. And I'm excited for you. Thank I'm you. I'm very excited for you. Thank you. Well, you know, one of the bit, sorry, go ahead, Ken. Go ahead. No, one of the things I found a lot of times through therapy, when I went through my stuff, um, when we had, everybody has anger, everybody does. But when you have certain things happen, I, I picked up a rage. Rage is very unhealthy. And I remember I went to my doctor and he sent me immediately to a social worker. And this is no knocks against anybody. But the social worker was way over their head, way over their head. Couldn't handle what, where I was. I went back. He sent me to a therapist in Toronto, Ontario. And therapist in Toronto had a tripod set up beside him to record what he was going to do. He tried to get me to into rage. The guy that murdered my family, he said, you're no better than him. You're weak. You're just the same as him. He put me into that edge right where I was going to go into the rage. I got out of my chair. The next week, I went to another therapist. He said, what do you think of this one? And I told him what I thought of him. And he goes, well, yeah, he does it that way, and I do it this way. My point is, I had to advocate for myself. You got to advocate. You got to keep pushing. I'm not saying there's a bad social worker or a bad therapist. There's all kinds of bad therapists, but there's good ones too. Don't get stuck on one. Advocate for yourself. You have to advocate. And the guy I found, how I actually found my help, my daughter was in the uh, addiction hospital. And most of the psychiatrists and therapists in the addiction center were former addict addicts. It could have been like drug addicts, alcohol, gambling, whatever they were. They knew what it felt like. They knew what it was like. They could relate to you. So I remember walking out the last day of family week and I thought, if my daughter can do this and she has the strength to go to, the, to, go to a, a rehab and, and get off the drugs and get off the alcohol, you couldn't, I, I'm not even, I, I couldn't tell you how proud I am of her. I wear her like a badge. I don't hide it. I'm not, I'm not disgraced or disgusted by it. I'm so proud of it. The people that are fantastic are people like you and I. I walked back in. I went to the, pe the person that ran the building, and I said, this is what my problem is. She gave me the name of a guy, and I went to him. That, I went out, I got back in my vehicle, and I phoned him. He had a three-day course that weekend, and I went to him. It was the best thing I ever did in my life. That guy saved my life. But that guy also tried to commit suicide. Wow. He understood it. He got it. And the more people that come out and start to relieve that, we don't have it all. We're not heroes. You can't, you can't know everything. You, you can't understand everything, but it's okay to ask. And a lot of people look at me and like, I'm a confident guy. I'll walk in a room with hundred people. I'll, I'll joke around. I'll entertain. But by looking at them on the outside, doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you know what's going on, on the inside. And we all need that person to turn to. And I've had, I've had in two weeks, I've had eight people walk up to me and say they're either suicidal now or they were suicidal. And I'm so proud of where they're at. And I'm so proud that they spoke up and I'm proud of myself for exposing myself. Beautiful. So if people want to connect with you, how could they do that? Uh, my email is uh, contact. Hang on. I've been a while since I did this here. So sorry. My apologies. Uh, contact at glenedwards.ca and www.glenedwards.ca. So 
Yeah, I love, I, I've helped a lot of people so far and I'm enjoying it. Like it's, uh, right now I got, I'm doing a thing right now. I'm doing like a consult for $49 for people that want to reach out about COVID, about infectious control, or just reach out and talk for a little bit and, you know, see what's there for you, what's available to you, what I can do for you. It's just a little insight to what you can do and find out where you're at, what's going on, what I can put together for you. Like I'd rather be out speaking, doing workshops. I'm not one for sitting here behind a computer like this. I'd rather be at a shop or a store, you know, in a building or in a warehouse or in a conference hall teaching people. So I'd rather have that workshop experience, but can't do it right now. So exactly. Yeah. It looks yeah. the same as you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for all your, Oh my goodness, information on how to stay hygienic. Yeah. <laughs> you need that right now. And, and, yeah. on, and your insights on, on life and tools and, just thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you. Like, like I say, I had a gentleman do a podcast with me the other day, and he said, what's your one thing you would give, give to somebody advice or a takeaway? And I said, find your core values and live by them. Like, nobody's entitled to them. It's the biggest piece of advice I can get. It's massive. Beautiful. We will end with that. Yeah, thank thank you, you so much. Kimberly, thank you so much for having me. Yep, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, take care. <laughs>